Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. This week, shut your pious hole. Libby brings the case against her husband, Aaron. Aaron's a minister by occupation and thinks he should always be upfront about his job when meeting new people. Libby says he should play it cool till he gets to know them a bit better. Who's right? Who's wrong? Only one man can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom. I preach there are all kinds of internet justice, your internet justice and somebody else's. But behind all of them, there's only one internet justice, and that is that there is no internet justice. No internet justice. Behind all internet justice is what I and this podcast preach. Where you come from is gone. Where you thought you were going never was there. And where you are is no good unless you can get away from it. I'm a member and preacher to that podcast where the blind don't see and the lame don't walk and what's dead stays that way. Bailiff Jesse Thorne, swear them in. Please rise and raise your right hands. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God or whatever? I do. I do. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling despite the fact that his primary religious endorsement came from the Church of Satan? Yes. Yes. Very well, Judge Hodgman. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Uh, Libby and Aaron, for an immediate summary judgment. First of all, it's true, by the way, Jesse. I know. That's why I said it. I just had a letter from Peter H. Gilmore, high priest of the Church of State, in the other day. I mean, an internet letter. And uh, you know what he told me? He said he really, enjo- he really enjoyed my performance as the mad doctor on The Nick, the Cinemax uh, old-timey medicine show the nick and i played a mad psychiatrist and the and i got i got noticed i got favorable reviews from duncan jones director of moon and the high priest of the church of satan and that made my week that's not bad i heard from a number of people on on twitter about how great you were at it well that's very kind of the that number of people i think they must have been rerunning them and getting ready for season two will john hodgman's teeth pulling lunatic psychiatrist dr cotton return in season two of The Nick, it's the only reason people are watching that show, to find out. <laughs> no, it's a great show. People are watching it because Clive Owen's brilliant and it's Steven Soderbergh's brilliant. It's, it's worth watching, everybody. That's some life-saving cultural recommendation right there for you. But let's get back to obscure culture. Libby and Aaron, for an immediate summary judgment in one of yours favors. Can either of you name the piece of culture that I referenced as I entered the courtroom? I, 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 I did not quote it. I paraphrased it because I, I inserted some words where other words were once before. But if you, if you know the work, you might recall. Now, Aaron, you are the, you are the respondent in this uh, fake internet lawsuit. So I'm going to give you the choice to guess first or to make Libby guess first. But everyone uh, must well- guess. Neither one of those is going to help. I have no idea. So you are you are you are saying you don't know, but you have to make a guess. Okay. Um, Vicar of Dibley. All right. I'm not going to comment at the moment. <laughs> Libby. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. All right. I'm just going to tabulate here. Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is guest number two. Guest number one was a Vicar of Dibley, and that's one, two guesses. And are either of them right? No. In fact, all guesses are wrong. <laughs> sign, that, sign this form now and just put that in the record. All guesses were wrong again. No, 
The quote uh, is from the novel Wise Blood by Flannery O'Connor. Mm. And every time I said internet justice, I, I should have been saying, if I were quoting properly, truth. So I preach there are all kinds of truth, your truth and somebody else's, but behind all of them, there's only one truth, and that is there is no truth. And this was the creed of Hazel Motes in the novel, the main character, the son of a traveling preacher who returns from World War II traumatized and uh, with a newfound belief in disbelief, specifically atheism, and becomes himself a street preacher in the American South, espousing non-belief. Uh, and essentially, as far as I can tell, based on my reading up on your uh, on your faith, he basically becomes a universalist Unitarian. <laughs> there is no truth, but everyone else's truth is true, and and there is no truth. Right? Is that correct? Do I have that right, Aaron? Um, there is truth, but you are seeking yeah. your own truth respectfully, and 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 with respect to everyone else's other spiritual journeys. And then, that is correct. And then you get together every now and then and, and read the New York Times. <laughs> More or less. Yep. So Libby, your husband is a universalist Unitarian minister, and you would like to prohibit him from speaking openly about his calling uh, because you have you have moved to a new place. And, and tell me a little bit about where you have moved and why why you want to deny him his religious liberty. Sure. And it's not quite as bad as it sounds. Um, but for your question, we moved to a small college town in Texas. We moved here from outside of Boston. So it's very, very different culturally. Um, and we have started running into some things here that we never had to deal with before. Mm-hmm. So so how, how is it not as bad as it sounds? You you want you, he has revealed that he is a universalist Unitarian minister and they call you Satan. <laughs> um, well, I have been told once that I would be going to hell um, and I have to say it's actually Unitarian universalism. So forgive me for misspeaking. Maybe we need a little clarification for both me and listeners as to uh, w- uh, what Unitarian universalism is I, I wasn't aware we could buzz market this, but um, Unitarian Universalism was sort of sprung up in the Boston area um, as a very liberal faith. Uh, we ordain women and men. Uh, I have colleagues that identify as gay or lesbian or transgender. We're pretty liberal. Um, and we were originally a Christian denomination, uh, two Christian denominations. But since then, we've become more humanist, more open. Uh, there are a lot of different sources that a minister could choose to preach from. So, yes, I'm a Unitarian universal minister and it, and it basically res, res, is respectful towards all religious all religions and belief systems and including atheism is that correct that is correct yeah yes did you move to Texas specifically in order to be a Unitarian Universalist minister or was it incidental um, yes, I, I had gotten a job in this area um, and this was where we went back in August. So what would you have me order your husband to do then, Libby, in order for you to avoid the, the conflict and being told that you're going to hell? I would ask that we come up with maybe one or two rules about when 
Aaron should not reveal right away that he is a Unitarian Universalist minister. And maybe another rule about um, kind of when in social situations he should find the appropriate time to break that news. Well, uh, this is a fairly uncontroversial and very old church. Uh, and certainly, certainly for someone who grew up in Boston, I was quite familiar with it because that's where it is headquartered and, and indeed has a long history of being associated with the civil rights movement and all the way back to abolitionism. Um, tell, let's establish what the problem is. You, you made reference to being told you went to hell. Tell me a story about a time when someone in one of your new neighbors learned that your husband's a minister and, 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 the, and the problem that it caused. Sure, Judge. Well, what you said about it not being a controversial church is very true in New England, but that is definitely not true here in Texas. I actually grew up in Austin, which is a very large city in the middle of Texas, very different from where we are now. And I had never heard of this church. It's not something a lot of people here know about. And they can often kind of freak out when they find out what it is. Well, tell me, tell, um, specificity sure. is, is, the soul, is, the soul, <laughs> is the soul of my church. So please, please get up and testify. Okay. So once I went to go and get a, a pedicure with a friend and... Um, oh, they allow pedicures that, in this part of the world? That's they do. Or is they're, that, they're very into them. It would seem that would be vain. But all right, go on. <laughs> um, so getting my nails done and the, um, the technician, you know, is making small talk with me. And so it came up, you know, why did you move here? Talking about, you know, we moved here for my husband's job. Well, what does he do? Well, he's a minister, which... Um, at this point, any conversation, it's always, oh, well, what church? What religion? So I was describing um, his church and kind of what what we believe. And she was just very aghast. Mm-hmm. And um, particularly when she learned that we uh, we actually lived together before we got married, mm-hmm. she w- just this was the point where she told me I was going to hell. And the worst thing was that I actually I couldn't get up and leave. I was stuck there until the end of the service, so it was very uncomfortable. In what way did she tell you you were going to hell? Did you just say, "Well, sounds like you're going to hell," or did she say, "Oh gosh, I'm sorry, you're going to hell," or what? She had this kind of like a gasp look on her face, like, you know, you you can't do that as a minister. That's that's wrong. You know, you're you're going to go to hell. And did she give you a good pedicure? I, I did feel like she kind of rushed it at the end. <laughs> okay. All right. And this has happened repeatedly in your in this uh, obviously much more conservative uh, and uh, region of the world. I have become a little more circumspect about when and how I reveal this to someone. Mm-hmm. By which you mean that you often lie about it. I, I, I varnish the truth. What, um, have you, li- have you I, lied about what your husband does? Not necessarily. I'd say, you know, kind of using omission or letting people make assumptions. Okay. Um, one thing that I can say, because it's a college town, lots of people are, you know, coming here for the university. I can just say, oh, you know, if it comes up, someone's wondering why, why I'm here. You know, we moved from my husband. He just got a job down here. And I think most times people will just assume that it's with the university and we can move on to a new topic. But there is no association with the university. No. 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 So tell me about your congregation, Aaron. Sure. What would you like to know about them? Well, how how large a congregation is it? Sure. uh, About 75 people. Okay. 
Uh, and what about what are their age range, more or less? We have a fair number of children, um, a couple of young adults, but mainly older folks who moved here ages ago for the university in town. Okay, and so they're not they're not native to the to the place. Um, I think some of them are now. Uh, would consider themselves to be native, but a lot of people move here. And do they face a lot of persecution in the in the neighborhood because of their belonging to your church? That's an interesting question. I think uh, they really view the church as a sanctuary mm-hmm. where it's okay to be liberal and it's okay to share what they really believe um, because my, my sense is that in other parts of their life, it is not okay to do that. I see. And how do you feel about the fact that your wife doesn't want you to reveal your calling? Yeah, um, I'm uh, I'm a little concerned about it. I think I uh, have created a better sense of judgment around when it's okay to reveal what I do. Um, but at the same time, uh, in certain situations, I feel that it's okay to come right out and say, this is what I do. This is what we believe. Um, and as a way to sort of say, like, you know, you have one idea of what a church is or a minister is, and maybe I'm different than that. What would be a situation in which you would want to r- reveal your life's work, but your wife would not want you to? Sure. So um, a recent example of that is we went to a uh, watch party of the Democratic debate that was being hosted by a particular candidate uh, mm-hmm. and that person's uh, campaign. Mm-hmm. And when De- we got there, this is the dem- which uh, which campaign is this? What what's is Democratic? It, uh, but in what race? Hubert Humphrey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bernie Sanders. Oh, OK. Oh, OK. Gotcha. All right. Gotcha. So um, Bernie Sanders and- had you over. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Um, so his uh, his campaign in this area had us over. Right. And I knew that there were a lot of people at my church that were also supporters of that. Sure. Um, we, of course, can't talk about that in church or from the pulpit. I couldn't endorse uh, this particular candidate. But mm-hmm. I knew that um, you're going to see some some faces from the pews. Except, yeah, potentially. Do you even um, do? You, do you have pews, or do you, or do you just have like Freudian fainting couches or something? <laughs> um, we have uh, we have chairs. Mm-hmm. Go go ahead. So what happened? So I I introduced uh, myself, and they said, "Oh, you know, where are you from?" Uh, and I said, "Just moved down here from Massachusetts." Uh, and you know, I and then the conversation became, "So what do you do for a living?" And I said, "I'm a minister. I'm a Unitarian Universalist minister." And about three or four of the people that we introduced ourselves to, and I said that, uh, said, oh yeah, I know about that. Um, I went to a church like that as well. Um, So it was good to have some of that common ground. Um, But this was a time that Libby didn't think I should have uh, come on that strong and told them what I did for a living. Why not? Uh, Why can't your husband say, that he's a Unitarian Universalist minister at a Bernie Sanders rally. Yeah, is he also prescribed from uh, saying he's a Unitarian Universalist minister at like Hemp Day <laughs> or at the Pour Over Coffee Place? No, no, it's. Um, I thought it was fine that he brought it up, but 
I think that I think we don't live in a time anymore where clergy are universally looked up to and respected. Um, and even, you know, Aaron's faith and ministry being what it is, very liberal and accepting, I think people still worry that they're being judged. So this goes the other way. You were afraid that in, that, in Bernie Sanders, so like at, at, at conservative pedicure, which is a great name for a pedicure place, you, you're afraid that your, 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 your husband and you by associating with him are going to, are going to be accused of being uh, hellbound. But over at the Bernie Sanders rally, you're afraid that all these folks are going to freak out and go, Oh my, there's some God freak in here. Yeah, it definitely cuts both ways. And I, I did want to introduce, there is a precipitating incident about why I brought this case. Please. Um, is this okay? It was very scary. And it's something that really, you know, made me quite worried for Aaron's safety. So I will turn it over to him. But uh, about a month ago, he t- took the uh, the shuttle into the airport. And at one point, he was the only passenger on the shuttle. And some um Pretty, pretty worrisome things happened. So the the conversation started up and I and the person said, oh, so, you know, what do you do? And I, I said, I'm a Unitarian Universalist minister. Um, and the, the bus driver said, oh, that's right. I remember your predecessor. Uh, the, the Lord impressed upon my heart to share a word with your predecessor. Um, and I'm surprised that he stayed this long in this town. Um, and I said, well, he had a contract. He was here for two years and now I'm here. Um, and the conversation went on. He asked about what my beliefs were. Um, and then the conversation sort of stopped when he asked me, so have you heard the truth? And I responded, well, I think I've heard a truth. I think I've seen truth. Um, we of course have a free and responsible search for it. Uh, but I think you're probably talking about a different truth. So what truth are you talking about? Um, And he proceeded to tell me his version of the truth. um, And then later asked, you know, as somebody who went to seminary and has a graduate degree in this and who has studied the New Testament, how could you uh, turn away from the word of Jesus Christ? So at at that point, I was feeling pretty flustered. I didn't know the conversation would be going this way. Um, And I I finally said, you know, it's clear that we disagree on this. Um, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and I wasn't really bargaining for this sort of religious conversation this early, Um, at which time he said, that's fine, uh, and then turned up the Christian talk radio that was playing in the in the shuttle on the way to the airport. What's the pro- I don't understand what the problem is. Well, you know, Aaron being alone in this shuttle, I that makes me very uncomfortable, and it also made me really worried that um, you know just this kind of random random shuttle driver happened to know the the one guy who preceded Aaron at his church. Did you feel that there was an implicit threat of some kind? I think there could have been. Um, certainly. Uh, okay. Um, 
why uh, have you turned away from Jesus Christ? So with the uh, the Unitarian Universalist beliefs, there are a number of different sources that we might draw from uh, Jewish and Christian, our Jewish and Christian heritage being one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that the majority of the people in the church that I serve uh, do not identify as Christian at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what about you? I would say that I am I am not a Christian. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the the teachings of Jesus. Um, I think that there are other great teachings out there, and sort of try to hold them um, all up as good examples and good sources for inspiration and morality. Well, that's but it's not the sole sole source that I would draw from. That's now. all very reasonable, though it does put you on an airport shuttle to hell. There are six sources. Uh, according to Wikipedia, of sort of spiritual enlightenment and guidance, direct experience of the transcending mystery and wonder of life, words and deeds of prophetic men and women, wisdom from the world's religions, uh, the Jewish and Christian uh, specific heritage of the Unitarian and Universalist movement, humanist teachings, and spiritual teachings of earth-centered traditions, which I think is like yoga and stuff, right? Uh, more pagan and Wiccan and uh, some oh. Native American inspired stuff. Yeah. Any, and you, and you have do you have any uh, people who belong to the Church of Satan? Because they're 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 a great group of people. I have to say, um, none none that have introduced themselves to me as such. And no. by the Church of Satan, I mean specifically the Anton Levey founded, now run, uh, now headed by uh, Magus Peter H. Gilmore, which is an atheistic organization that is essentially a, cr- a critique of all religion. They're really decent men and women, though I have to say, in my experience with them, they're a lot of fun. Uh, it's basically Ayn Rand objectivism with uh, with goat masks and rituals. But in any case. Uh, so, you know, this is a situation where, uh, it, it, you, you know, it, it's uncomfortable for sure. What I'm trying to determine is whether there is truly a threat, uh, to your, to your safety in, in, in such an uncomfortable situation. And it's hard to tell. I can understand why you felt weird about it, but also whether, uh, this is, uh, specifically, uh, a result of your being a Unitarian Universalist uh, versus simply being um, a non a, a non believer of this particular guy's kind of truth. You could have been anything. You could have been, you know, if if you were a rabbi, do you think he would have given you the same treatment? I I couldn't predict what that would be. I could I could imagine that it might be might have been a similar conversation, but I uh, I couldn't predict that. Aaron, I have a question for you. I mean, you must you must hang out in, you know, uh, Unitarian Universalist Ministers or like get the Unitarian Universalist Ministers newsletter that has a letters column or something like that. Um, what is the advice you've gotten uh, from other people who uh, have been in a situation similar to yours, which is to say they are ministers in a place that, uh, unlike Boston, which has a, a deep tradition of uh, Unitarian Universalism, but places where Unitarian Universalism is, is an exception and, and could be by some people seen as a threat or, or a rejection of, of their faith. Sure. So yeah, uh, there there are definitely uh, places where we're where we discuss that, um, and the the advice is very wide. There's a, a lot of lot of different advice. Um, some advice says uh, some advice that I've heard from colleagues is just 
you know, tell something of what you do, uh, but don't reveal that you're a minister because you're not in uh, a professional relationship with them. Um, so you don't know what sort of uh, concerns they might start telling you or what sort of stuff they might project onto you. Um, so some of the uh, sort of uh, more general descriptions of being a minister might be I'm a manager at a nonprofit, I'm a writer, I'm an inspirational speaker, um, I work at a small community building organization. We should explain that you are technically an inspirational speaker in addition to having been a univer Unitarian Universalist minister. You're also Rudy from the movie Rudy. <laughs> um, I wish, yeah. Um, so there's that's one school of thought. You're a guy. Uh, you just say, oh, me, I'm just a guy who sits in a room full of chairs. And sometimes people sit down in them. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, another school of thought is to outright uh, sort of embellish and lie as much as possible, um, saying you're an accountant at a meatpacking firm. Um the other school of thought is to be forthright with uh, what you do, saying that you're a Unitarian Universalist minister uh, and whatever the person that you're talking to wants to say about that is a-okay um, and that that's a great chance to have some pastoral connection. I have a question. For, I have a specific question for you about that part. So do you, as a Unitarian Universalist minister, see that you have any responsibility within your job description either to be evangelical or to be of pastoral service to people who may not share your Unitarian Universalism? Like we had a family friend. Uh, I had a family friend who was a Catholic priest as a kid. I think he would identify himself to others as a Catholic priest pretty much no matter what, not because he wanted to convince other people of Catholicism necessarily, but simply because, you know, it was part of explaining his general service, which he, you know, provided to the poor no matter what their religion was. Right. I think um, there's no outright expectation that you're going to be evangelical. I think the average Unitarian Universalist invites somebody else to church every 26 years. Um, so there's sort of uh, – there isn't that evangelical outreach uh, necessarily. I would like to get back to the dispute. So in the situation that you described, did you feel that, your, uh, that there was an implicit threat in what the bus driver was saying to you? Um, I, I did not feel implicitly threatened, uh, but being the only passenger in the vehicle, um, I wasn't exactly sure what might happen, um, but that was more my, my concern was I'm the only person in the vehicle, what could happen in this what, situation? What were you afraid was going to happen other than this uncomfortable religious conversation? I don't know. I think I was probably pre-disasterizing um, and getting getting worried about it. Is that um, part of your faith? But... Is, that part of, <laughs> is that some tenet, the pre-disasterizing? I, I think is, that language specifically is directly associated with right. the fainting couches they all sit on. Yes, exactly. Right. Okay. All right. Was that Was that sufficiently uncomfortable... Uh, an, an encounter that you now feel that you should withhold information in the future? 
Um, so later, later on, I took another shuttle on that same day. I was flying for work. This is beginning um, to sound. This is beginning to sound like a biblical story. And then on the second shuttle. He met a different man. So, yes, on the second shuttle, I met a different driver, uh, and he asked what what I did, and I said I, I work with a small community building nonprofit. You lied. Um, which is which is true. We build community. We are small. We are a nonprofit. Yeah. How much? Um, how how big a part of Unitarian Universalism is dissembling and evasion? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it is it is not a part of it. All right. Did you feel guilty in any way for having done that? Um, no, I, I didn't, because actually when when I was in the airport getting to the other place that I was flying to, I had asked some of my colleagues, how would you have responded in this situation? And they said, I would have just told them that I work at a small nonprofit. Um, so I said, well, I'll try it out this one time and see what that's like. Um, so I did. So your your Unitarian Universalist colleagues suggested that you do this. Uh, some of them suggested I do that. Others how did you said, how did you feel about it? I felt a little disappointed in myself that I had said that, um, but it also made the conversation uh, go a lot easier, and the ride was much more comfortable. So where where is the dispute here? Do you want to do you want to say your truth out loud or do you not care? Um I I do care. I just would prefer that I am the one who is able to make the decision as to when I share it, what I do for a living or when I don't. And Libby's viewpoint is that I should be prohibited um not to put wor- words in her mouth but be prohibited from sharing that I'm a minister at all. At all? Is that true, Libby? I I think that this is maybe too strong. I, I want you to use your judgment, but I want you to use good judgment. So better. <laughs> so your judgment. When you say yeah. your judgment, you mean my judgment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you I gotta give. You my... know what? You have to give me some specific circumstances in which he would be prohibited, or else I'm going to throw this thing out of court. Okay. Okay. I would say, you know, when you are alone on a car ride with a stranger, that's probably a good time. Um, to not not reveal this unless you know they have started talking to you confessing troubles on their soul or something like that but i don't think that's going to happen so when i'm hitchhiking yeah <laughs> okay so so anytime he is alone yeah i i think it's my prerogative as a wife to get to worry about my husband and i realize this may sound somewhat trivial but um I think that the majority culture here is sometimes very unreasonable, and it's um, it has been a really big adjustment for for me to get used to having to um, have to symbol is the right word, but be more circumspect about who we who we let into. Um, yeah, kind of the truth about who Aaron is. Libby, can I can I ask you a really sincere question? Have you had situations? Have you had situations where you felt like in revealing this information about yourself, not only did you not get back the reaction that you wanted, uh, but you got back a, a reaction from someone who who was hostile to you? That is to say, someone who didn't. <sighs> 
You know, the, di- uh, the difference I'm asking about is the difference between someone who is uh, making you uncomfortable by saying that in their view you're going to hell and someone who's making you uncomfortable by uh, suggesting that they might, uh, you know, attack you in some way or something other than, you know, a, a genuine concern based on an actual religious conviction um, that they might, you know, they want to help you. Wait, so the question is, do I think someone's going to hurt me or Aaron? Do you feel like there's something above and beyond uh, uh, people who want to help you and uh, the way that they want to help you is inconvenient and slightly unpleasant? I, I see what you mean, that you know people want to kind of bring us around to their way of thinking that they think it's helpful. Um, but it's, you know, I'd say those interactions are, are not helpful and they, they don't come from a place of wanting to understand who who we are or even just be willing to kind of let us be. Um, I'd say, you know, actually the really hurtful ones are not when, a, you know, a manicurist is telling them to go to hell, but when, you know, we try to reach out and make new friends and, you know, have dinner with our neighbors and, you know, they're very pleasant, but after they, they learn what Aaron does, we don't hear from them again. And I'm, I'm not saying that I would want to, you know, be friends with people who, you know, don't appreciate who my husband is and what he does. But um, I think, you know, maybe if we'd been able to kind of start with a different foot and find some common ground first, maybe we could have um, kept talking to them. Uh, let me ask you, how old are you both? We're in our mid-20s. Yeah, 28. Okay. How long have you been married? Uh, we were well, married in 2013, so a little over two years. Yeah. And Aaron, where are you from in the world? Um, I grew up in a small town outside of Boston called Littleton. Littleton, Massachusetts. You know, I am a yep. Massachusettsian myself. Exactly. exactly. And and when and and what what drove your calling to become a, not merely a member of this church, but a but a minister. I saw what the minister was doing uh, in leading sermons, and I said I wanted to do that. Um, later on, I led an Easter sunrise service, and at the end of that service, uh, when I was a senior in college, uh, decided that anything that wasn't in preparation to be a minister would be wasted time. Um, so I decided to enroll in seminary that next fall. Uh, and every time I learn more about what it means to be a minister, uh, I continue to say, yes, I want to do this for my life's work. OK, I think I've heard everything I need to in order to make my decision. I'm going to uh, go into uh, my chambers, which I occasionally rent out as a Unitarian Universalist church because I've got some sweet chairs. <laughs> And uh, and I'll give it some thought, and I'll be back in a moment with my decision. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Aaron, how long have you been in uh, Texas now? Uh, we moved here in August. Do you expect that you'll be here beyond your the length of your contract? Um, I'm I am not sure. Who knows? It all depends on where the next church uh, that would like to have me as a minister is. What do you think, Libby? Um, I love kind of being somewhat closer to my parents. Texas is still a big state, but maybe we could help make some great change here and make it a better place to live. But I, I really don't know. I do love the congregation, 
that Aaron is serving. Um, they've been so welcoming and so wonderful. And so I would want to stay here and be closer to them. Aaron, how do you feel about your chances in this case? I think they're they're pretty okay. A um, lot of certainty there, clearly. Uh, I, I would be happy if the judge ruled in my favor. Uh, how, how about you, Libby? How do you feel? I'm not feeling very good. I don't, um, I don't think the judge really saw my side. Well, we'll see what Judge Hodgman has to say about all of this when we come back in just a second. You're listening to Judge John Hodgman. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Of course, the Judge John Hodgman podcast always brought to you by you, the members of MaximumFun.org. Thanks to everybody who's gone to MaximumFun.org slash join. And you can join them by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad. And I got one for my mother-in-law. And it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024, 2020, Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I, I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks... Imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. 
Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom. You know, my, my reference to reading the New York Times at the beginning of this podcast was a reference to a joke that uh, uh, my dear family friend, Christine Connor's father, Walt Connor, would make all the time about Unitarian Universalists when we were growing up in Brookline. And he, of course, is a staunch Roman Catholic and is today. And he would say with some uh, with some uh, wry fondness, but also acid, that uh, the ver- Unitarian Universalist version of going to church is to read the New York Times on a Sunday morning. And it's the case that in in the Boston area, it's hardly uh, uh, a unusual religion in the least. And indeed, the criticism that you might get uh, from in Boston it, it would be either uh, you don't really believe in anything because you you have as the church itself, the religion has no specific creed or th- or or theological uh, rigor. Um, that would be from the religious people in Boston, but more more likely from the many, many, many uh, liberal atheists who live there. Uh, you're just an embarrassment because you are pretending to believe in church when really you shouldn't. Uh, and that would be the two criticisms that the universe, the Unitarian Universalist Church and and its and its clergy might receive, but probably wouldn't receive anything because in Boston, no, not really. People don't care. People don't care in the same way they care uh, in other parts of the world, um, particularly uh, the way people care about Christianity. And, uh, and, and I'm talking about uh, strains of Protestant Christianity in, in the American South and, and into, into Texas, which is indeed a region unto itself. Um, there they clearly care. And that is, and it is a different world and it is a different culture. And what you are experiencing is the experience of being for the first time in your lives, a religious minority. And what you are experiencing feels new and uncomfortable to you, but I, not even knowing the name of the town that you're in, I would bet you a bunch of American dollars that, uh, that, some, that, that you are not the first person um, to have been targeted by this one theocratic airport shuttle driver for not believing the right truth. That is a world in which, uh, you know, the that is a world in, in which people take it seriously. And it clearly is open season to talk about in any circumstance, because you are in you are a non-evangelical. And by evangelical, I mean, small evangelical. The, the Unitarian Universalist Church does not believe in proselytizing existing uh, among many people of deep, deep, deep faith. Um, who uh, who believe that they have to tell everyone they can uh, about their version of the truth, which can be the only version. Um, and so it's you're primed for conflict. You absolutely are. But conflict of a kind that I that I worry you are overstating. You know, obviously your personal safety must be of primary concern, especially in a state which you point out rightly, Libby, is is more loosening. Uh, uh, egregiously and and to a to a point of insanity, reasonable restrictions on on concealed carry gun laws. I mean, it's re- it's ridiculous that you should be able to to bring a gun to school <laughs> or to church for that matter. But it's happening all over the country, and it's a shame, I think. But beyond that, what you're experiencing is something that uh, 
All kinds of people who are who have been religious minorities within, you know, over the centuries have experienced different kinds of, and and much less to some degree. You know, you're talking about routine, everyday look askance, and it's uncomfortable. And if you and if you were not there specifically on a semi-literal mission, I would say you should go home, go home to Boston, because it's not gonna it's not gonna change, right? But you are there on a mission. And I've, you know, I am, uh, I am the definition of an agnostic. I really don't know. I don't know. I don't have a strong sense that there is something beyond this world on a gut level. I'm pretty cynical about it, but I also enough of a scientist to realize that we have, uh, there are always things outside of our perception and I, and I'm not, I'm not going to rule anything out and I'll probably figure it out when I die. So there's a built-in fail safe for me one way or the other. I'll know. But I specifically didn't mean to ask you about your faith. Uh, that is to say, whether or not you believe in, in God or a transcendent spirit or something beyond our physical and emotional perception, um, that doesn't matter to me. I, like, like you, I could be a member of the Unitarian Universalist Church because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter how you believe it in your church. It doesn't matter the way you believe it. It is defined upon openness and tolerance. But in asking you, why did you become a minister? Why did you take the extra step? And you, uh, and you, and you, you were able to explain it in 30 very moving seconds. And I thank you for your sincerity and your brevity. I knew that you are truly on a mission and as an, a mission, which is to, to share with those who are interested, the, the solitude and solace and contemplativeness that one can gain through uh, a, a congregation of tolerant people. And that's a good mission to be on in life, you know? And I think it's better than harassing people who have the misfortune of becoming a captive audience in your airport shuttle. But it's going to happen. That dude is just going to harass people. And the, there's no way that you can... Correlation is not, does not mean causality. In the parable of the second shuttle, you lied. And you were not harassed. That could be because you lied, or it could be because that guy is polite, whereas the other guy wasn't. Uh, the, the woman who gave you your pedicure, who told you you were going to hell, that is, a, that is an unacceptable way to treat other human beings in any belief system. And it, could, and, it, and it was only, I think, perhaps because, and I can only guess it was because, she was shocked and feared for you. Not so much that she wanted to damn you to hell herself, but because she couldn't conceive of a world in which a minister's wife cohabitated before marriage. By the way, I don't believe in cohabitation before marriage. I've said it over and over again. You're getting the worst parts of a financial partnership without the benefits and, and legal protection of marriage. But you do what you want. I'm, I'm Unitarian Universalist that way. But the fact that she might have been a feared for you is because she couldn't conceive of the world in which you were in, in which you exist is all the more reason why your mission is valuable while you were there. I am not suggesting that you proselytize people and try to bring them over to the secular humanism of Brookline, Massachusetts. But certainly there is a congregation there that feels the way you feel. They feel in the minority. They feel uh you know uh that th th that they have beliefs whether they be religious or political, that they cannot express for fear of censure. And that is true. That is true in parts of Texas. I've been there, lots of parts of the world. 
It's not all Austin. And, you know, even college towns aren't all Austin. And they need you. And they need you. And, and, the, and what they need is a minister uh, who, and particularly a minister within a church that has one credo, which is of tolerance, you know, they need you to be honest. And it, it hurts me. Look, I'm not a Unitarian Universalist minister. I don't know what you guys get up to in your professional meetings, but it hurts me that your colleagues are saying, yeah, yeah, just lie, just lie, just lie. You chose this life to be a minister in a church, even though it is the most wackadoo, easygoing, everything goes kinds of church there is. It's still your job. And if someone asks you in good faith, what do you do? You don't have to go into all of the details, but you have to tell the truth in life. Don't you think that that is part of almost all world religions? (laughs) Tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth. You don't have to bear witness in depth. You don't have to be the airport shuttle guy, but you can tell your own truth, which I think is a pretty good one. And the, your own truth should be good enough, which is you're a minister. And, and if they say, what denomination? You say universe, Unitarian Universalist. Stop. See what happens next. And if they want to engage in a theological conversation with you, tell, your, tell the next truth that you have on your plate. Tell all your truths until you don't have any truths left to tell and let, th- and let th- them worry about their reaction to it. And the reason that you should do this isn't just to maintain integrity to yourself, but also because you might meet someone in the world, even though you're not meaning to, who has been waiting to hear that truth. And maybe on the day they hear it, they're going to say, you're going to hell. But maybe, maybe they're gay or maybe they, they're, they're trying to live a new life with different morals that don't conform to their family morals. And maybe they're in a position that you're not in. They don't have a two-year contract. They live there. And maybe they want to hear that truth. And maybe that truth will get into them. And that'll help them lead a more happy and spiritual life. Forget spiritual, just happy life thereafter. You know? And so, I, I, not only I'm afraid, Libby. I mean, I, I appreciate your concerns and your worries. But if you... Tell the truth about your life to some people who have you over for dinner and they don't have you over for dinner anymore. Forget them. Who needs them? And if you are told to go to hell in a place that where they paint your nails, go to another place, you know, but be, but you, but you, you married this man of faith and you, you made your choice too. And the two of you are down there in a world. It's not very often. I don't want to make a presumption about your ethnic or racial background, but I'll say generally speaking, it's not very often that, uh, that white middle-class people are a, a, a religious minority. <laughs> but if you're a Unitarian Universalist uh, in, in the middle of profoundly conservative Texas, guess what you are? Talk to people of other faiths in that. Talk to Muslim people who live there. Do you know what I mean? And learn from their experiences. But I think that as a basic overarching credo of all world religions and quasi-religions and non-religions. Tell the truth because good things come from the truth and bad things come from the non-truth. This is the sound of a gavel. 
Judge John Hodgman rules that is all. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Aaron, how do you feel? Um, I I feel uh, good. Um, I think uh, the uh, judge's uh, admonition to always tell the truth is is a good one. Uh, message heard. I did feel a little bad uh, saying that, and my colleagues, uh, some of the other ones, did say tell the truth. Um, so, message heard. I agree with what uh, the judge said. Aaron, it's, I mean, it seems like there's a way to be truthful and sincere that neither invites conflict uh, nor evangelizes if you prefer not to evangelize, isn't there? Yes. Yep. Libby, how do you feel? Do you, do, do you feel worried for your husband? Um, I do, but I mean, that the judge was right. That is part of what I signed up for. Um, I, I think maybe the judge should consider going to seminary himself. That was a, a pretty good uh, sermon that he gave there. Well, uh, guys, we really appreciate you taking the time to be on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Libby, Aaron, uh, uh, hopefully we'll hear good things about how this goes for you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. That's it for this week's Judge John Hodgman podcast. The show is produced by Julia Smith and edited by Mark McConville. Hey, listen, me, bailiff Jesse Thorne, am on the road in November on a bullseye tour. Uh, my national public radio program, Bullseye, will be first in Los Angeles and then in the Northeastern Corridor, Boston, Brooklyn, Manhattan, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C., uh, putting on a live version of Bullseye with in-depth interviews and live comedy and music performances. It is going to be really a blast among the many guests William H. Macy Congressman Barney Frank uh, Mission of Burma Tavi Gevinson Farrell Monch Joel Hodgson uh, Ray Suarez Dan Deacon it is a real extravaganza so if you live in Los Angeles Boston Brooklyn Manhattan Philadelphia or Washington D.C. get your tickets now at bullseyetour.com if you would like to name a future episode of Judge John Hodgman be friends with us on social media like Judge John Hodgman on 
Facebook and follow at Hodgman and at Jesse Thorne. If you have comments about Judge John Hodgman, hashtag them JJHO on Facebook or share them on Reddit at MaximumFun.Reddit.com. Thanks this week to Peter Counter for naming this episode. If you have a case for Judge John Hodgman, go to MaximumFun.org slash JJHO and share it with us there. MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. No case too big or too small. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.